0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number
1: fifty-five of Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedes. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to, or a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So, before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up to date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, in analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. That's the cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. So we had a great show last week with the Vice President of Professional Services for DF Labs, Michael Fowler. I was really happy that he was able to join us on the show. I really love Mike's background, and. I like what he brings to the table when we're talking about fighting the good fight here in cybersecurity. I mean, what he has to say is very, very important. It's very specific. It's a very, to a very specific domain in the cybersecurity ecosystem. But it's, it's very, very, very important, I think, especially when you're talking about the, your operations of your environment. What's great about last week's show, in my opinion, is that it not only emphasized the importance of a robust incident response and crisis management program in your organization, but it really highlighted the need for organizations to modernize, to automate, and to orchestrate their response capabilities. Now, in my opinion, speed and accuracy is key here to the conversation. And when I'm talking about accuracy, I'm talking about the data and information that you can depend on to make not only sound critical decisions, but financially sound critical decisions with. And it's absolutely paramount in building a capable and reliable cybersecurity ecosystem in your organization. You want this ecosystem to, to ensure that it's contributing to hardening your overall defense and death posture, and of course, giving you that advantage you need in the race against time, and we're talking about the cyber kill chain. So, more and more, we are highlighting the need for speed, Right, The speed component of cybersecurity, and how important it is to get the decision points much quicker. Get to those points, know who's going to make them ahead of time, practice, do your wargaming. And we have to to do this much quicker than we have in the past. And one of the advantages that the bad guys have on us in this epic battle that we're all fighting every day seems to be speed. It seems to be speed. And if if you want to take one of the most glowing examples and possibly one of the easiest to understand for most folks, whether you're a cybersecurity professional or not listening to the show, is really in the VTM space where it appears that it still takes most companies weeks and even months really in in some instances, probably many instances, to patch known vulnerabilities where on average, it takes the bad guys just a few days to exploit that same vulnerability. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, right? You don't have to have a PhD in mathematics to figure out that as long as that's the case, we're not going to win. We're not going to win that battle. And so, I think the same goes for all of your operations functions, whether it's VTM or investigations, incident response, your intelligence program, whatever it is in your cybersecurity model. I think the same rule applies. You know, speed is very important. And any function that falls under the operations umbrella has a speed component to it that is essential to your mission. And it has to be measured. And if you're not measuring it, then maybe you should think about that. Because if you don't have the metrics in the telemetry to really think about what you're doing to give you insight into how fast your team is processing accurate information that can actually be action then you really can't begin to even analyze and understand how slow your operation functions are compared to how nimble and agile and you know precipitous your adversaries really are right you 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 don't even have that understanding yet because you don't have the visibility and optics into it without the telemetry so look because we we all know it if it if not if you're you're it's not if, if you're network gets hacked, right? I always think about this a lot. It's like, oh, you're talking, oh my God, if we get hacked. No, it's not. It's when. It's when you get hacked. And it's how quickly you're able to restore your desired state and get back up and running and limit the damage to your business. That that's what you're going to be judged on, in my opinion, right? So it's not if, it's really when you're going to have that bad day. And for SISOs out there, it's your response that I think that you're going to be judged on really it's it's the response like how do you react to this what do you have in place what kind of wargaming did you do how prepared were you for the bad day it's the response capability that's going to be the grade on the scorecard that determines whether or not you keep your job and because we all know look this is going to happen to everyone i want to stress that i don't think any network is safe and no one is immune all right no matter how much money you spend so when we're talking about sore technologies I think they're an essential piece to winning the battle that we're fighting every day and ultimately the war, right? So if you missed last week's show with Michael Fowler talking about sore technologies, it's it's worth the time to go back and take a listen to to hear what he has to say, folks. You can listen to it anytime on playback, whenever it's convenient for you. I hear a lot of our listeners listen to the show during their commute or when they're getting ready for work in the morning. I know I got a lot of podcasts rolling every day as soon as I get up. So there's only so many minutes in the day, folks, and I know, we like to make them as productive as possible, and I really appreciate you taking some of that time and listening to what we have to say. It's, uh, it's, really, it's very humbling, and I really appreciate it. Mike was a great guest, and he spoke on a very important topic. That's Michael Fowler appearing on episode number 54 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live right now on Voice America, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering... How you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 radio episodes on playback? Well, you can find TF7 radio on a total of nine different playback mediums, including iTunes.com, Google Play, Tuning.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at TaskForce7Radio.com, and of course, the number one internet talk radio producer in the world, and voiceamerica.com. So all in all, nine different options to get your TF7 radio fixed. Wherever we are, folks, you can't miss us. If you Google Task Force 7 radio, you get all your options. Check us out, TF7 radio playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere, around the globe. And as always, please, please, please don't forget to subscribe. As you know, we love it when you subscribe. So, we got a great show planned for you tonight with another tier one cybersecurity professional on the Task Force 7 cybersecurity train. Mr. Ray Rothrock is going to be with us this evening. Ray is the CEO of Red Seal. He's a, it's a company who focuses on making companies digitally resilient. And Ray just authored uh, another book on a digital resiliency that we're going to be asking him about this evening. A little bit more about Ray because he has a very fascinating background. Um, Prior to Red Seal, he was a general partner at Venrock, one of Red Seal's founding investors. And at Venrock, he invested in fifty-three companies, including over a dozen in cybersecurity, including Von 2 PGP, PCube, and Perva, Cloudflare, Sheep Security, a whole bunch of others. He is on the board of Checkpoint Software Technology, an original Venrock investment, and Teammate, where he is bouncing with my good friend over there in the of Freer. So Ray is also a member of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Corporation board. He's a thought leader in cybersecurity and longtime investor in the sector, and he was a participant in the White House Cybersecurity Summit held at Stanford University in February of 2015. So Ray is wicked smart, folks. He holds a bachelor's degree from Texas A&M University and a master's from MIT in nuclear engineering, and he holds an MBA with distinction from the Harvard Business School. So we're very happy to have him on the show with us this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ray Rothrock. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you, George.
2: Glad to be here.
1: Hey, so we're glad you took the time to uh, be on with us this evening. So you laid out plain and clear that uh, a breach is going to happen in your book. I know I have your book right here, Digital Resilience. It's a great book. I started reading it earlier this week, and it's got a lot of, a lot of um, great content in it. I know The Fours by Richard Clark, who's also been on the show, by the way. Um, and uh, it's just a lot of interesting information, so I, I, I encourage people to go and in, in read it. But when some companies are spending millions of dollars on security, how can we be sure that a breach will eventually happen? You heard me talk probably a little bit a few minutes ago on my opinion about it. There is no security operation that's bulletproof, in my opinion. Why is that?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great. That's true. There is no perfectly bulletproof operation. It's because people built it, people designed it, and people operate it. And uh, it's the human factor at the end of the day. Technology can only go so far if if people have poorly built things or poorly designed things, or people just you know clumsy errors like uh, in a phishing attack. It, you know accidentally or even intentionally clicking on that. That attachment to that funny-looking email that you didn't double-check on, uh, you're, you're had. And so, it's it's only a matter of time. And, and by the way, when it's on your email, it's inside your firewalls. It's in your network. So, uh, you're, you're done. You're cooked at that point, unless you have capabilities to shut it down, isolate it, and close it off. It's, just, it, it's really just pretty straightforward. So, your book is about
1: cyber resiliency and companies' ability right. to be resilient right, as, as the key factor in whether or not they win or lose this battle, uh, right. Right, you know, against evil out there that's really going on. So yeah. do, do you really believe that resiliency is our only choice? This is the only way to go?
2: Well, resiliency, yeah, I do. Resiliency, uh, you know, what does resilience mean? Resilience means the ability to withstand an impairment of some sort right. uh, and, and come out the other side uh, <laughs> looking like you had no problems. Uh, In your introduction, you were talking about the fellow you had on last week, um, you know, talking about time. Uh, Resilience is about time as well. Uh, If you think also, you think about human beings, uh, we we are, you know, in modern society today, we have really perfected a lot of things to be very resilient. Let's take a building, the building you're sitting in right there. Uh, It's got sprinkler systems, no doubt. It probably has smoke detectors. It has exit signs. It has things to help people get out in the event of a fire before the fire kills them. That's called resilience. And the sprinklers, if the sprinklers work, the building doesn't burn down. So that's just a, a simple example of modern thinking. You, you, you ask yourself, what can go wrong? And if if it goes wrong, what are my prevention or what are my detection or what are my response systems in place to deal with that? And that's what resiliency is all about. And resiliency starts with knowing what you have and how it's operating and how it's constructed and, and on and on and on. So uh, it, it really is the only choice. That's that's the sort of our view. The, the bad guy's view is, look, they keep creating new threats all the time. They come at us with different ways. No, You know, I was a VC for 30 years. And in the early days, uh, I call it the whack-a-mole strategy. A, a, a mole's head would pop out of a hole and we had technology that would whack it. And that worked for 25 years. And then Target happened. And it didn't, demonstrated to us that whack-a-mole was not exactly the perfect strategy to have anymore. So I think, since we don't know what that mole is going to look like, we don't know which hole it's going to pop out of. We can't evolve technology fast enough. We've got to employ resilient strategies in our cyber in our cyber, uh, uh, process and operations. So,
1: Ray, you mentioned, you know, assessing yourself and knowing what you have to begin with. Do you think companies right now, and especially CISOs in charge of some of these large organizations, really understand how to conduct a self-assessment and have some self-reflection on their capabilities as opposed to, what their adversaries' capabilities are?
2: Uh boy. That's, uh, do I think no? I don't think most of them. I think a, some portion of them certainly have, and uh, the the ones that probably have had an incident or been close to an incident are definitely on that that game. But it's you know it's a continuous process. It's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. As soon as you finish painting it, you start over and paint it again, and so it's not a static thing. And there are a lot of people in the world who, you know, they get their job, they get their degree or whatever, and they they're static and cyber is not a static business. So I think as we learn more about our systems and our own capabilities, uh, we will find that uh, you just have to be a, you have to be painting the golden gate bridge constantly. So I, I don't think we have very much of that. I think the most sophisticated companies you all know, the, the JP Morgans and the big wall street firms, they have the capacity, they have the people, they have the money, but you take a, even a modest $10 billion company in uh, Kansas City, for example. I doubt they have a very sophisticated uh, cyber strategy. They've certainly deployed things like firewalls and antivirus and what have you. But uh, there's just not enough people, and uh, the technology is uh, dated compared to where the threats are.
1: So you heard me mention just a few minutes ago about how CISOs are going to be judged on how they react mm-hmm. to a breach, right? And not necessarily mm-hmm. if they prevent one, and I think, I think you know, that's, that's, my, that's my opinion on... On what's yeah. going to happen here and how executives should be looking at yep. the performance of CISOs. but we've been saying this for a while. I mean, our company's still putting too yeah. much energy and trying to avoid a hack instead of yep. trying to bounce back from one.
2: Yeah, I and I think your point is an excellent one, George. You're absolutely right. Your your job's as CISO is to prevent it. That's just your job. But you're really going to be judged on how you respond, and uh, it's I, I think that is that is what it's all about. So. Um, getting back, getting back to, let's, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm all, I lost track there, because um, I think that point is an excellent one.
1: Um, no, I um, mean we're ta- we're just talking about like when you talk about the ecosystem, even like if you look at the NIST frameworks and some of the other frameworks out yeah. there, a yeah. large percentage of them are really the framework itself is really pr- based on prevention.
2: Yeah, it is prevention. But, yeah, prevention and detection. That that's that's like said, so that's the sort of keep it out. But the problem is now our systems are very porous. We have phones, we have, uh, we have you know, uh, Wi-Fi, we have uh, clouds, we have all this fabric that basically rips down the perimeter of the, of the, of the organization. And you know, here's the other thing, uh, unless you have a lot of capital and engineers, chances are the network you're operating on was built and designed by people that are no longer at the company, and chances are the documentation was poor. And if there is any documentation, so we call that tribal knowledge at Red Seal. And so the tribal knowledge left a long time ago. You have no clue uh, as to exactly what you have. When I've talked to CISOs, their first question is show me the network. And some engineer pulls out a piece of paper that's got a date on it, maybe two or three years ago. It's like, you know, the evolution of our fabric to run our digital world is moving so fast. No one can keep up with it. So you almost need a continuous system to understand what's going on. Right. Otherwise, you're you're just asking for trouble.
1: Right. Right. You know, I I know you talk about Target a little bit, and so let's talk yeah. about one of the breaches that I think sort of have come to define like a period of mm-hmm. evolution of cybersecurity in many ways. And we talk about oh, and then the Target breach happened, and then you know so and this yeah. how the how the industry yeah. sort of evolving. I think that's how we talk about it. And when, so, can you talk about the, the Target attack a little bit? And how it sure. happened? You know, what they Go did ahead. right, what they did wrong, lessons learned, that yeah. Kind
2: of Absolutely. Well, Target, this is a Fortune 50 company, very sophisticated. I'm sure they uh, were using uh, all the software that I'd invested in for decades uh, and were operating it properly and correctly. And uh, what happened to them, is, and it, by the way, it was a similar event. It was a similar event for me too. Uh, I had um, stepped down as managing partner at Venrock and was, you know, going to try to learn to play a little golf with my wife and stuff when Target did occur. <laughs> and it was an aha moment. It's like, wow, wait a minute. Here's a, a perfect, great company who just got just hacked badly. So what happened? So this is a, a, something that all CISOs worry about today. That's their supply chain. And in this case, at Target, it was not just a supply chain. It was just an operator coming in to work on their air conditioning systems. And most of these systems these days do have an IP connection, a, you know, a RJ45 IP you jack in. And you do some controls and measurements and whatever you got to do. Well, the, the person that brought his PC in to work on that network inside the HVAC system at Target, their, their machine had been phished. Um, he had somewhere along the line, an email had come in and been clicked on and it had deposited malware on that PC. So when he brought that PC inside the premises of Target, he's inside the firewall, he's touching their network, that malware is just sitting there waiting, it's hunting. These things are, you know, these are automated attack systems. And it found its way into the HVAC system. Okay, that's cool if the HVAC system had been isolated from the corporate network. It wasn't. So then, the, so then the malware hops into the corporate network. And it's hunting, by the way. It depends on what the attack vector is. But in this case, they're looking for credit card numbers. And that's a pattern. And so it, it just starts searching through data that it finds on the network and on endpoints and stuff. Eventually, it finds its way all the way out to the point-of-sale systems. That's where the credit cards actually live. Well, Target, they did a lot of things right. Uh, They uh, certainly had policies that said the HVAC system probably shouldn't be talking the corporate system, but they didn't check it. And sure enough, the malware found a way. Then they had the point of sale systems where they were collecting data. And in the, according, at least from what I understand, according to have a policy that says you turn off, you, you collect the data, you ship it to HQ, and then you turn off your your cash registers at night. Well, this is the holiday season and someone decided not to turn off the cash registers. And even though they they clean their disk of all the sensitive information about yours and my credit card, that information was still living in the memory of those devices. And since they didn't power them down, the malware is hunting for those patterns and finds it in the memory that's still lit up overnight. And that's how it started. Now, they did something right. They 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 told people out there to turn off the systems because that would eliminate anything. But somebody didn't. So a human being didn't completely follow the procedure, a good procedure that Target had in place, and that started the whole thing. And then of course, uh, Target had um, their uh, their sock, their security operations center was overseas, and all of a sudden it lit up. You know, they got all these alerts. All this stuff was going on. Uh, data was leaving the premises, and they were flooded literally flooded with tens of millions of alerts. Well, they didn't, the thing they probably didn't have is, what do you do? (laughs) What happens now? And eventually, uh, it got to a point, and the big mistake that Target made, and, you know, I would hate to be in that spot. I I know what decision I would make today, but it got up. Someone very senior in the organization had to decide, Do we shut down our network and, and contain the problem? Or do we continue to operate and, and let people buy things on these cash registers? And they chose the latter. So they kept their systems up. They let the malware continue to operate to continue to exfiltrate this very sensitive data, 40 million customer records or something like that. And lo and behold, they got in trouble. And they all got fired because that was a fiduciary. They did not protect their customers' data. They had lots of procedures. They had lots of technology. But at the end of the day, they made a decision not to protect that data. And boom, they lost their jobs.
1: You know, we're, we're a big proponent of cybersecurity professionals in Task Force 7. And we always talk about this as learning moments, right? Mm-hmm. And when we think about this, right, we think, well, if we just thought about this beforehand, let's talk about what we're yeah. going to do if we're faced with these decisions and come to an agreement. You know, if A happens, then B happens. You know, here here is right. our, you know. Here's our decision, you know, points. Here's what we can do and what we can't do. And here's who's going to make those decisions. And most likely, this is probably the decision we're going to make. if they're, You know, yeah. So it, yeah. I think that helps a lot. I mean,
2: absolutely. You need to storyboard these things out. I mean, right. pilots train in simulators for that bad moment they hope never comes because you want it to be automatic. You don't want to under, when you're under stress, that's not when you want to make that tough decision. No. You want to know what you're going to make when you're, when you're getting shot at, so to speak. And, and there's, you know, these days there's all kinds of training systems. There's management training systems uh, to put people under stress. It's called tabletop exercises. I'm sure you've had people on that talk about those. They're very effective because, you, you know, uh, uh, I met once he saw once he said they, they actually have tabletop exercises where they call the general counsel of the, of the corporation, big corporation. They call them in the middle of the night and said, you have a problem. You've been breached. And they, they test his response. And, you know, you need to have uh, phone chains and all this sort of stuff. Everything, the GC becomes the captain in an event like this. So I think those people, I mean, they, they are the captain of the, of the legal side of the building. They, they actually have infinite budgets to protect the corporation, but they need to be trained uh, in, in flight simulation, if you will, and in, in things that are crashing or falling apart because they have to make tough decisions. They have to – the CEO is going to turn – the board's going to turn on the GC and say, what are our options? And what's the risk of that decision versus that decision? And the, that's, and the, that's well, the input
1: job. of so many different organizations in the company are going to be required. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. It's just, you know, and getting all these people to work together and have them understand what the process and yeah. decision making uh, uh, process is going to be is, is really critical, I think. But we're talking about what we're talking about is human failure. We're talking about social uh-huh. engineering. We're talking about third party risk. Are they all just as big of a risk as they were when the Target breach happened? I mean, shouldn't we have made some progress on on, on well, something? I, I think,
2: yeah. Sorry, George. I, I think we should have made some progress. But look, it's we're in the middle of a digital transformation or revolution. It, it, this is happening at 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 internet speed. To use an old cliche around the Silicon Valley, uh, and honestly, the management systems, the decision frameworks. Are, are behind their yesterday system. So even though we're modernizing our technology, we're you know, putting everything in the cloud and doing all this sort of stuff, the frameworks are very different. The decisions are very different because the threats are very different. And I think that's what's behind in that conversation that you just talked about. Uh, so look, social engineering has been around a long time, but if your network, if you only had email on your network rather than doing e-commerce, so what? Uh, but now, not only is email there, and e-commerce there, you've got operational elements there. Maybe your factory, maybe your power plant, is all now hooked in. the The because of all the touch points of this thing called the internet, this IP, this and you know internet protocols, touching everything. The, the they, they call it the technical term. It's attack surface. The attack surface is enormous, and it wasn't enormous ten years ago. Uh, it was it was not you know uh, well, we. <laughs> We did cyber investments at Venrock that sometimes didn't work because the problem we thought we were solving just wasn't a real problem. It, it, it was a problem, but it wasn't a big broad-based problem. Today, these problems are huge. This attack surface is enormous. And IoT, uh, Internet of Things, just is making it bigger every day. We it's hard to get ahead of it.
1: So, Ray, we've got to take a little time to go to commercial break right now, but I'm going to be back real soon to pick your brain about this attack service and how it's increased so much because I want to dig deep into that. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio, and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications, please email me directly at george.redis at taskforce7radio.com. That's george.redis at taskforce7. that's with the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much awaited for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the CEO of Red Seal, Mr. Ray Rothrock. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash tf7 to request a look at Inkman's soar live in action.
0: Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check
3: your exposure for free at spycloud.com.
0: You're listening to Task Force Seven Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce 7 radiocom Again, that's taskforce 7 with the number 7Radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas.
1: Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the CEO of Red Seal and board member of cybersecurity incubator, teammate, Mr. Ray Rothrock. So, Ray, let's talk a little bit about the cost of a cyber attack here. We, we talked about the target breach in the, in the first segment of the show, and we were talking about sort of the, the consequences of not being ready to respond to an attack instead of just being able to prevent an attack. So, what about the cost of a cyber attack? We got lawsuits, you got credibility to your company, damage to the brand, trust in your brand. Like,
2: yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think you know the dollars and cents are are interesting, and that's what always gets cited. And of course, that goes to the expense of the company or the insurance claims or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, it's really about trust. It's like um, uh, here's a, a classic example. My little town here. There's a service station, a gasoline station, uh, that uh, has had these uh, card reader uh, systems, you know, put over the top of the card reader on the pump, and so people's credit cards get hacked and Uh, Whenever it happens, and it happens a couple of times a year, strangely enough, Uh, despite video checks and other things that the the owner has done, uh, we have a little network in town and everyone knows about it. And of course, they badmouth that particular station and they criticize and it gets very raucous sometimes. So imagine that's your bank or imagine that's a larger institution that you depend on. Imagine it's your fire department or your, uh, your voting system, for goodness sakes. Um, I think it is all about trust. At the end of the day, we, you know, we, I, you, you truly, I don't know where you are exactly, but um, if you rode an elevator, you didn't check the certificate of compliance for that elevator. You walked into that building, you assumed it was good, you assumed that those sprinklers are going to fire. All that's based on government stuff, and we pay for that through our taxes. But the cost, if that building, you know, you're not going to want to go into that building if it's, if it's, if things have fallen down, you're not going to want to. Vote in that system if if that system and people in my town don't use that service station. so it's it's hurt this man's business. So I think trust is the ultimate problem here. And look, that's what terrorism's all about. if you think about what what the point is. You know, one person can disrupt uh, uh, how we feel about their institutions. So I mean, there's money, you know, I don't know what the final final target will ultimately be. I think it was about one hundred and fifteen million dollars was what it cost them to to uh, notify everybody and the lawsuits are still rolling through the system. Um, and, but that's all, that's just the litigious part of it. I think it's about you and me. And do we trust, will we trust that automated car when we get in it someday? Uh, if we've just read a story that automated cars had a cyber attack, these, these are, these are new, new things that we're going to have to deal with in our world.
1: So a lot of the cybersecurity professionals out there know that things change, uh, you know, in cybersecurity world, like by the minute, like things are just so fast moving. So there's probably some folks out there who are listening to us right now asking themselves, why are we talking about a breach that happened so long ago? I know there's people out there, right? So what do do they have to learn from this conversation?
2: Well, so long ago, five years is nothing. Uh, Remember, our networks were built over about the last 30 years and they haven't changed a whole lot uh hmm. only about uh, the very largest companies uh only about a third of them maybe not even that have even deployed new fabric so we're living we're living with the 30 years of infrastructure that's been built mostly uh in our day and so uh, you know when you build a building it lasts 50 years or 100 years uh so be our networks and unless people take the time to tear them down and rebuild them in a more cyber resilient way uh, we're, we're stuck with it. So what happened to Target can happen to anybody. And that's why it's still very relevant. And in fact, the lessons from Target, it's still studied in business school. It's like the Tylenol. Remember the Tylenol case? Remember when they had the mm-hmm. tainted sure. aspirin on the shelves? Yep. They still, people still talk about that. still hailed as, as a, a, a management moment. It's taught in every business school about ethics and about management decision and framework and what data do you have? How much data do you need? Target's going to be the same thing in the cyber world. So it's it's not an old thing. It it is it is a classic it is a classic example of what we're living right now.
1: That's a very interesting analogy and it's it's an interesting way to look at it in terms of how it affected the whole cybersecurity industry and how people do business today. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's shift gears and start talking about the digital resiliency that you just penned out a book on and it's you know it's it's a great book. I've I've, uh, I've been reading it and and it's it's got a lot of great content in it. Um, It's pretty thought-provoking, to be honest with you. But let's get into the weeds a little bit about it. Can you define for my audience what a a DRP and BCP is and how they tie into the overall cybersecurity recovery plan?
2: Yeah, sure. DRP, disaster recovery plans. So, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, when 9-11 happened uh, and buildings fell down, uh, a lot of people's computer systems and records were lost. And uh, for a while, we had set up systems in our – Technology in our IT departments uh, to back things up, so that if a computer system failed, there was a backup system. And subsequent to 9/11, now uh, everyone has multiple data centers. They do backups, and you want to do a quick, you know, uh, uh, a recovery plan, so that if you, you know, if the house burns down, you've put your documents in the safety deposit box elsewhere. The the, the related to that is the business continuity plan. So uh, also 9/11. Uh, it was very critical, super critical that the financial systems of the country keep running. You know, money, uh, transactions, the trillions of dollars that move around. I mean, it's really important for our economy and for the world to operate, to keep operating, so the telephones, and the networks and stuff. So business continuity says not only do you, do, you, do you have a secondary or tertiary copy of your data, but you can use that data to continue your business. And depending upon your business, like a bank, uh, you will have a very sophisticated business continuity plan. And so those, those things are very common. And 9-11 just put a gigantic spotlight on both of those things, uh, particularly the government. So by, I, one of my board members was in the White House on nine twelve, 12 helping uh, those people there figure out how to keep the financial systems up. It's pretty pretty um, stressful time, and, and some incredibly great decisions were made. How does that relate to cyber? Well, uh, likewise, cyber, you know, you may not burn down a building or knock it down with airplanes with a cyber, but you can effectively destroy data. You can effectively prevent business continuity, and so you have to take cyber into account. You, it's just, it, it's part of the thinking, part of the strategy, and just as re- disaster recovery and uh, business continuity, that that is resiliency of sorts. We also have to have cyber resiliency and. The application of that in my book is we're in this new era where everything's connected. And if everything's connected, uh, you got to be able to recover from when something becomes disconnected or something behaves poorly or something stops functioning. Uh, Because, uh, you know, cyber – we always talk about cyber attacks and all that stuff. Look, I think it was July of 2016 or 2015 – there was, uh, uh, there was hot news hit Twitter. Literally, it was at a, I forget the exact day, but it was a summertime. And the Wall Street Journal the New York Times and Bloomberg, no, United Airlines. United Airlines, Wall Street Journal and the New York Stock Exchange. Those three networks went down at the same moment. And the Twitter network was just hot and alive with, oh my God, we're under a cyber attack, 9-11 all over again. You know what it was? It was a router upgrade a scheduled router upgrade that hit all these companies and because oh, I remember they big, that yeah yeah, yeah because <laughs> they were big they affected yeah. a lot of people's lives well how many other routers in the world got hit that day i don't know but but that's not cyber attack that's just that you got to be resilient against things going wrong you know right. these systems aren't perfect
1: no i specifically remember that day <laughs> the rumors were crazy right
2: it was it was nutty yeah, yeah. scared everybody. Yeah.
1: So this is interesting. I mean, you're talking a little bit and, you know, we're kind of hinting around the fact that it's not enough just to survive an attack, but I think yeah. organizations can actually turn the tables when a crisis occurs and actually come out looking pretty good uh, when they're, if, if they have yeah. all their crisis management policies in place, they make the right decisions. Like you were, we're talking about the decision making, right? How can a business yeah. thrive during a cyber attack?
2: How can a business thrive? Well, if you can stay in business and continue to transact business. If that says retail, something, right? Yeah, it says a lot, right? The customers right. are going to feel good about it. And if, yeah, uh, you know, if you look, uh, take an automobile, um, again, to use a real physical world thing, you know, in the, in the 60s, if you hit a tree, drive it down the highway, you didn't walk away from it. Today, you likely will. Why? Because of resiliency that's been built in the car, the, the body of the car, the frame of the car, the airbags, the seat belts, all that stuff. So if you're a company, you're likely, you know, what is it? Volvo used to advertise that, right? We're the boxy but safe car or something like that. Why couldn't a company use its cyber strategy and its capabilities to tell people that we're better than the competitor here? Use it as a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Um, There's a whole, you know, when you buy anything now, electronic, there's a little sticker on the back. It's underwriter's laboratory. It's been certified and tested. You know, it's, short of throwing the toaster in the bathtub to see if it's going to survive. This UL group puts a lot of things through testing. We don't do that in the cyber world. We should, our systems should be tested. Our phones should be tested. A lot of like we test our gear because we sell cyber, cyber software. So we have to test it very hard. But, and that's just because I don't want to, I don't want my, my software becoming the source of a cyber attack because I'd be out of business tomorrow. um, And But, you know, generally speaking, uh, other than making sure that the computer won't electrocute you and all that, no one really checks the software to see if it's, you know, going to work as prescribed and all that. That's just not part of our rigor. And uh, we could go there, but and I don't know if you want to, but uh, compliance, you know, um, this is a big deal. Uh, We live in a modern world where the buildings are built, the cars, airplanes, and everything. It's all based on standards and compliance. It's a little expensive maybe in some cases. But boy, it sure has saved a lot of lives, and I think cyber needs to go down that path as well it'll take it 'll take decades, but we will do it we'll
1: yeah, have no it. doubt I mean, in my opinion about compliance is a lot of some of these standards at least for know, some of the large companies, some of the big players in the industry, these are just really small baselines i mean yeah are, you know these are things for like you know like, I don't, even if I look at NIST and if you look at some of the large financial institutions i mean I think they you know, they're well beyond this. They have capabilities that are well, well beyond. beyond. But for a lot of companies and probably maybe the majority, this is a great, uh, I guess, baseline in a lot of Uh respects. To your point, hey, let's at least get this done. Let's get this done. Let's have these security controls in place to make sure that we're protecting our data, protecting our customers, protecting our assets, I mean, we're talking about, you know, breaches that are done in stages here and they're done in stages. We talk about the cyber kill chain a lot on this show as a, maybe a framework or a, um, a sort of a, uh, like a, st- a strategy to, to go by. And I know cyber kill chains in a lot of uh, implemented in a lot of uh, cybersecurity strategies and a lot of organizations. How do we, how do we go about detecting these breaches more early on in the cyber kill chain?
2: Oh, okay. Well, um, (laughs) oh, well, you know, there's lots of uh, endpoint, there's lots of detection capability, agents, very sophisticated agents, and they get more sophisticated over time. And they're built into our computers, or built into our servers, or built into our phones, or whatever the device is. They're built into the HVAC systems, for goodness sakes. Um, But not all systems are able to have that in there. So detecting Detecting a problem, uh, there are companies that sell software to look for a change in traffic patterns or more bandwidth being consumed. A um, uh, company called Gigamon out here in the in the Valley uh, does a lot of that, and and so you you infer a problem or at least infer an alert. There's a whole category of companies called Sims S E I M uh, that uh, people set up. Logic trees, and they look at things like ban- they'll look at bandwidth plus, uh, say CPU usage plus heat, maybe in a, in a data center or power consumption, and they they do all this and they 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 get baselines to use your term there, it's a good one, and then they look for exceptions, and when that occurs, then they start to take an action, and so they have to have they 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 get an alert, the IP comes up, this this IP is under attack, this device is under attack, maybe it's under attack. You hand it to your incident response team, and the incident response team investigates. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. The first thing you want to do is isolate it, uh, or you can honeypot it, or you can do whatever you whatever your plan is. You need to have thought that through. But detecting it is, you know, just good old fashioned to use the term shoe leather. Maybe it's cyber leather, um, where you have systems and capability and and look for the clues. You know. DNA now is a very popular uh, criminal uh, forensics. Uh, similar things exist uh, in, in our cyber world. And even, cyber, even cyber attack software has signatures, in it, just like bombs have signatures when they're designed by people. This stuff is very helpful uh, in sorting out where the threats are and where you, what kind of action you should probably take.
1: Now, so you make a really good point. I mean, I think a lot of these digital signatures are just the ground balls that we have. And if you miss them, yeah. Yeah. Balls, then you're in big trouble, right?
2: Yeah, ground balls. That's good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah, ground like ball, it. right? So the digital yeah. you know, it's detecting the anomalous behavior after you benchmark yeah. the behavior. That's the key, I think, in yeah. a lot of this, you know, sort of smart technology that we have out there. Yeah. You you talk about unboxed computation environments. What's that?
2: Unboxed computation environments. Well, um you know the t- the cloud is part of that. I mean, um, you know, the uh, we even we do this. We spin up servers. We we uh, it's not a contained box anymore. Meaning, it's not a physical thing. It's actually a virtual thing. You know, VMware was the sort of leader in this area. So now we have this this uh, uh, we're spreading the computation, if you will, for a, a problem solving or a transaction, whatever it is, over a lot of stuff. And uh, you don't, and it, and it spins up and it spins down, uh, quite literally, uh, spins up and spins down. And so that that unboxed, when it's moving and dy- when it's dynamic like that, how do you test it? How do you know it? How do you see the threat before either it's shut down or maybe the threat's been transferred to something else? And so it becomes very hard to do. And so you gotta step back, you gotta sort of bound the box, or figure out the boxes. You've got to bound it and hold it and, and, and check it. Um, it, it. It's just, you know, for the poor, guy that's, the poor guy that's your incident response team or the poor guy that's running the detection center, that's just the bane. It just kills them. It, right. it's, hard to, it's hard to keep up with that.
1: So let's talk about some of these current emerging threats. You just mentioned one of them. I mean, what about, you know, cybersecurity in the age of the Internet of Things, right? I mean, yeah. how invasive are hacks now because of this emerging threat?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, that's a, well, Internet of Things. These are typically small, cheap devices or new. Uh, they were not designed with security in mind. In fact, sometimes uh, it's not even considered in the design. Um, uh, and it becomes a a, um, a leapfrog point or a transmission point or, or something like that. It's like a sneeze, uh, and the air that you're breathing carries the virus to the next person. So, uh, and IOT can be sort of like that. Uh, the problem is, um, uh, you can't, you, you cannot retrofit. Can you imagine if you had a billion of these things and you had to upgrade them, you had a security problem, you had to upgrade them. Uh, you couldn't do it. I mean, it's just think about the magnitude of that problem. So what you have to do, you have to design the network in which these things operate to be resilient and to be, uh, sufficiently architected to prevent a problem that should it occur. And, and the most classic one there is, um, Segmentation, and my CTO, uh, Dr. Mike Lloyd, has written quite a bit about that because uh, what my software does, it goes out and understands your network and gives you information on how it's been put together. And if you have a million IoT points, suddenly that's a really big problem. And so we we advise people how to segment and, and contain their IoT uh, problems, such as they are. Now, let me give you a, if you got another thirty-six. We had a we had a customer who had a big data farm, and our our software was operating in it. And they had a problem. They had a breach. And they called us up and said, you know, they were pretty mad at us because they thought, you know, we should have seen it. And we said, well, let's wait a minute. Let's go look. Turned out the malware had moved through the UPS systems. That is the, the uninterruptible power supplies in the data center, mm-hmm. which had little tiny IoT things on the back. And they had, someone wasn't part of the spec, but they had hooked the UPS systems into the main network. And when the malware got in there, it hopped along the UPS systems, avoiding all the detection systems that were in the servers. And they had a breach. But we knew the path was there. We saw the path was there. And sure enough, they had a policy against it, but it had not been implemented properly. That's a you know, that's that, a that, great that,
1: example. I mean, using that yeah. as an example, right? I mean, that's a really interesting example. Using that as an example, what what would be the best way to design resilience into your networks and computer systems, especially just... Thinking about what you just said,
2: <laughs> yeah, the most popular uh, is segmentation. Uh, you don't want too much segmentation because it's expensive. You have to have a router or a firewall at every junction, if you will. You have to have an intersection with control points and everything. We don't want we don't want street lights at every small little four way stop sign because that would slow business down and be expensive. So, likewise, in a network, you want to think about. Uh, the segments of activity, where the data is stored, what's the important data, what's the not-so-important data. You need to think about that before you design before you just throw things up and make them go. And uh, then, you gotta, you gotta, then you program all that gear, and things start to move around, and you need to test it. And you need to make sure that uh, you've got the segmentation in place and the firewalls and routers are doing what you want. Um, it, it's, we, a large part of my business is with the federal government, particularly the military. And you know the boss. They say the boss, the general, whomever comes in and says, oh, "I want to connect from here to that, this fort to that mission activity out there," and you say, "Yes, sir, I will." But do you realize when I make that connection, I'm going to violate the following regulations. I'm going to create these following vulnerabilities, and I'm going to essentially tear down my segmentation strategy. And we can reveal that. So uh, when you're deploying. Uh, these things you can get them up and running if that's one thing but then to test them later to make sure no one came around and made a little change or made a little accidental you know we call it the fat thumb problem half the mistakes half of the of the mal configuration of things just happens because someone was typing too fast either two rather than a three they didn't go back and test it we've seen whole networks where they take them down to do maintenance and they forget to put them back and then they wonder why their e-commerce site isn't running. I was actually in the room. I was actually in the room once when that happened, and and it was an embarrassment to the uh, operators. <laughs> so this is a, you have to have these systems that check and understand that it, you know we, humans are pretty darn good at designing things, and we're pretty good at building things, but we need to go back and check them in cyber because it's virtual and invisible and kind of a mysterious thing. Uh, it's hard to do. Part of what I talk about in the book, uh, George, is to uh, the cyber gobbledygook, you know, makes people's eyes roll over. You know, I call it MIGO. You know, my eyes glaze over. Um, we've got to stop talking about it like that. we got to talk about it like we talk about the real world. We can't talk about zero day and antivirus. I mean, we've got we to talk about things that matter to, to
1: people. No doubt. I think that's good advice. We've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. But don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from the CEO of Red Seal, Mr. Ray Rothrock. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio.
4: Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Labs Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Labs Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a Force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman's SOAR live in action
0: account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation many companies think they're protected they believe using a password manager multi-factor authentication behavior-based technology password rotations or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for
3: free at spycloud.com.
1: I'm here with our special guest, the CEO of Red Seal and board member of Cybersecurity Incubator Team 8, Mr. Ray Rothrock. So, Ray, we're talking a lot about, you know, the endpoint. We're talking a little bit about social engineering. How big of a role does the computer user play in making networks vulnerable?
2: Well, George, I think that is the issue. It is the human factor, the human failing, the human frailty uh, that causes most of the trouble. Uh, we've talked also about you know not only uh, humans design it, humans implement it, humans run it, but it's the user. That's really the issue. And look, uh, everyone uses a computer in their job now. Uh, people use computers on the shop floor. You know, uh, CNC equipment, some big computer basically, and so uh, people make mistakes. So we have to train people, just like you know, growing up, you you learn to clean your fingernails and wash your hands and comb your hair. Uh, we got to teach people from early days about cyber and the threat and how to, how to manage your relationship with the world on the digital front. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about social engineering and the young people today aren't as concerned about privacy. I, I think there, you need to go deeper on that subject, but let's get back to the, the people. So, uh, I, I, I talk to a lot of large groups at big corporations, particularly insurance companies that are very interested in what little red seal does. Um. But, uh, you know, even at Red Seal, we do fishing tests. We do fish training. And now I was just, I was actually uh, addressing a public board here in the Valley, a semiconductor company the other day. And uh, they all, the board takes fishing tests. And so I asked them the question. I said, what happens when the CEO fails the fishing test two or three times in a row? What do you do? You take, your, you take the computer away from the guy? What do, I mean, what do you do? And they all laughed. And I said, well, it's not so funny. Think about it for a minute. You know, they're, you know, CEOs are generally in pretty powerful positions. They can tell the, they can fire the IT guy if they don't like the test or they fail the test. So there's a new rigor, I think, has to be brought into our culture inside of companies that people have to understand. And if you, you know, let's say you're in the middle part of the organization and you fail the same too many times, maybe you need a different job. So I have seen, I've talked to people whose HR policies, human resource policies are evolving to deal with this. They actually put people through cyber training before they put them in front of a keyboard in their company. So that's, that's the kind of, and that's costly, uh, but it's essential. And, uh, you know, uh, do you allow a stranger to come into your company and hook into the network? These, these are things we never thought about, not even five years ago. And now it is standard stuff. a little story, one of my, one of my directors uh, lives out of town, comes and stayed at a nice hotel in San Jose. I won't mention the name. And uh, she logged on to that hotel's, you know, Wi-Fi network, just like anybody else thought and looked good. It had the name of the hotel on, she put a room number and her name in there and off she goes. <laughs> when she showed up at my office the next day, she, uh, because her computer was known to us, she connected to the network. And all my alarm systems went off. It just went nuts. She had been fished not on an email, but she had been fished into logging into a fake network that looked like the hotel network. And it had deposited malware. It took us hours to unwind that malware that had been put on her computer. So, you know, that, did she do anything wrong? No, she, she just did what she always did but that's how sophisticated these attacks are so people are in the middle of this thing and she's a very sophisticated cyber person
1: so we you know when we talk about networks and we're talking about the IT department sort of owning the network owning the security yeah. of the network i mean who yeah. who should really take ownership yeah. of these networks i mean how important it is for the c suite and the boards to be involved
2: here yeah uh, it's very important that the board get involved in fact the ceo especially in 2015 the mckinsey A cyber team out of New York published a book called Beyond Cybersecurity, where they talked exactly about the point you're making. Uh, James Kaplan led that research. He's a friend. Um, And he's actually mentioned in my book on the back cover there. Um, It it used to be down in the basement corner room, right? Cyber was part of IT, and then it moved across to control. But now it's business. The network is the business of the company. So there, puts it in the C-suite automatically. And as we all know, look, a culture, a process, attitude, everything starts with, with the leadership in the organization, whether it's, you know, uh, the CEO or, or whatever. And so if the CEO cares, everyone else cares. And that's why it matters. Now, uh, your business, our, all our businesses depend on this thing called the network. And if it, if, if you don't, if you don't, think that's the case, just stick around. You'll be out of business pretty quickly. So, um, I think that's, you know, that is, that is what it's all about. I, I, I I'm, you know, I'm doing a little bit of a book tour and I've got a whole thing about what, what should boards think about? What, you know, what, from my book, what do you take, what's the takeaway? And I, let me just say the number one thing, and I think this applies to boards, I think it applies to you, me, and anyone else. What matters? What can go wrong? So, what matters to me and what can go wrong? So should I, for example, go to, if I want to do some banking, should I go to a Starbucks, sit on their free Wi-Fi and start conducting business? No. No. Don't you dare. But, you know, believe it or not, how many, I don't go into a Starbucks these days where there aren't scores of people sitting there doing whatever they're doing. Uh, So you just got to think better. You got to be a, you got to, what do you call it? Uh, You can't be tone deaf about cyber and the network anymore. And that that includes a C-suite.
1: So another emerging threat, where resiliency is going to be very important is going to be the cloud, right? And yes, yes. it's really eye opening when you talk about our trust in the cloud to keep our data yeah. safe. What are your thoughts yeah. around that?
2: Well, there's a couple of things. I, the cloud is probably safer than these old legacy networks in many respects. It's cause it's been designed recently. It's been designed with modern software programming techniques and probably the, the code's been checked and stuff. But the truth is it, it, we don't know really what's going on out there as a user. Um, and, you know, these clouds can go away, right? I mean, they are big physical things. Um, they sit near power plants and what have you. And, and we need that, the disaster recovery plan, those, they have all that, but we may need to think more about it. So I think it, personally, if I ran a really big business and I lived a lot on transactions and customer data and stuff, I think the cloud's a great place to put a lot of that data. But I want secondary backup. I want to know how to get to that. I want to know what, who else is in the cloud with me, and what uh, what protections and provisions are being made. I, I, again, not to make a commercial, but our software figures all that out for you. Red Seal software figures that out for you, and we have relationships with all the cloud providers because our customers want to know. Uh, particularly, the government the government uses a lot of cloud. It's cheap, uh, so everybody's going there, and. So that's, that's, I just think you just need to think. Think of it as, as, as a data resource. And if you lost that data resource, what's your recovery plan? What's your resilience plan?
1: When you talk about the data, I mean, should, should we start thinking less about the network and more about protecting the data here?
2: Oh, oh, absolutely. Where Where's the important data matter? Uh, right. That, you know, uh, uh, one of my customers, Stanford Health, 5.7 million vulnerabilities in their network, and their network's pretty big and complicated. Which ones matter? Which ones are important to them? And they use a lot of software to help them do that, including ours. Uh, But it's about prioritization. So what data is important to you? What data, that important data, is it sitting on a vulnerable asset? Uh, Is it properly segmented? Are the firewalls and routers, you know, managing that data? All of that matters. And so we have to have a visibility, if you will, into where that data is, how it's being moved around, and who has access to it. It is much, that, that is it, really, at the end of the day. used to, You know, networks just used to be email, right? Right. And email from point A to point B. No more. No more.
1: Well, Ray, I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about this. I know you, you're you a real busy guy. You're writing books. You're writing companies. You're on boards.
2: <laughs> I mean, you know,
1: it's, I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time, and I hope you come Thank back you. often.
2: Well, George, I'd love that. And, um, you know, I'm uh, at Ray Rothrock on Twitter and Ray at RedSeal.net if there's questions. So thank you for this opportunity and good luck with Task Force 7. Sounds great.
1: Thanks so much. Well, we run out of time once again, folks. But before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub, the reader recap of tonight's show, and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB. Com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
0: Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.